You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Stay tuned for our main program, which is coming up in just a minute. We have uh, Chris Canners from SolarShare today to inform us a little bit about uh, solar market in Ontario specifically, but also just a little bit about how feed-in tariffs work and some other interesting things. Uh, very interesting. I'm sure you will enjoy it. Quick reminder before we get to that, if you can... If you're willing and you're able to become a Green Majority member, the recommended uh, membership is $5. Encouraged to go uh, to $10 if you can afford it. Uh, But if those are just recommendations, if you'd like to show your support but uh, feel financial constraints that uh, that's a little bit too much, we understand you can just show your support for as little as $1 a month. You can do that at Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Green Majority. Stay tuned for the main show. Enjoy. Listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, in the studio now and actually in the tech booth as well. Uh, so any and all mistakes can be blamed squarely on me this week. I was um, going to do that anyways, just to warn you. Well, that is our tradition. <laughs> uh, so we're going to do the show here in a uh, little preview of the show in reverse order before I hand off uh, to Stefan. Uh, coming uh, last first, Sabina Haseni is here and we'll be talking a little bit about uh, dams and dam dams, uh, as well as walls. Brad Wall, uh, talking a little bit about carbon tax, uh, a little bit about flooding, uh, appropriate today because live in uh, Toronto right now as we're producing, it is teeming rain outside. Uh, so we'll be doing that at the end of the program. In the middle of the program, uh, Chris Canners, who's a professional engineer and general manager for SolarShare, will be joining us in the middle of the program. I'll be interviewing uh, Chris in about 15 minutes or so. Uh, Chris may also jump in. We'll see what happens uh, elsewhere. Uh, that's sort of up to him. Uh, but now, your first act. Uh, Stefan has told me nothing further other than he tends to de- intends to depress you. So apologies and take it away, Stefan. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, well, you know, it's just a rainy day. I felt like it was only necessary. Uh, and I actually teased this on the last week's show. Uh, and when I did, I called it Schrodinger's climate policy. And, and then so, and so then I was going to just, you know, I was going to open it by describing what Schrodinger's cat is. And then I read a bit about Schrodinger's cat and that is confusing. Uh, there's we, not, we could do a whole bonus show on that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just trying to describe Schrodinger's cat. So um, it's a Schrodinger's cat. For for those unaware, is a is a thought experiment to explain quantum physics, um, which is dramatically more complicated than I was willing to try to explain. Uh, I just wanted to use it for the very end of it, which is that you don't know whether or not the cat in this box is alive or dead. Everything else is everything else is stuff I do not understand. Um, it's actually really quickly worth noting that one of the people who worked on that original. Theory Theory, one of their famous quotes about it was anyone who claims to understand uh, how uh, quantum mechanics works doesn't understand how quantum mechanics <laughs> works. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so so the, the end of the, or part of the thought experiment basically is just that there's a moment in which you can argue that the cat is both alive and dead. For the intensive purposes of this piece, that is all you need to know. <laughs> um, and, and I say that because it, uh, I thought of this after reading two different articles. Uh, one, uh, which is pro- which both were, were pretty big in the environmental field. One was a couple, or I think mid-April, Bill McKibben came out with a piece that was basically called uh, Calling Justin Trudeau a Hypocrite he's, Because He's Ruining the Climate. 
Uh, I was posting The Guardian. And the second one was uh, Andrew Leach, uh, a response to this uh, piece, uh, which was in the Globe report on business. Um, and it's called, Is Justin Trudeau Hypocrite on Climate Change? Uh, at least they make it very clear on the title. <laughs> um, and so, and I read both these articles. And when I read both these articles, I had this very overwhelming realization that you to believe you could agree if, if you agreed with both of them you were at some you were there was some sort of cognitive dissonance in that can climate policy be both good and bad <laughs> um, or alternatively uh, can 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 someone can, can we uh, can we live in two realities uh, and and I, what came down to is this realization that we unquestionably live uh, in 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 multiple realities if only because w- there's you can make very cohesive arguments on, 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 in different ways, and you can be like, that makes sense, uh, and, and yet still be missing a massive percentage of the conversation. And for this purpose of this piece, I'm, I'm breaking up uh, how everyone – I'm breaking up people into three groups, and this is obviously not fair. Uh, and so I'm going to call this out right now. Uh, but for the purpose of this, we're just going to – you can decide which one you identify with and get mad at me as appropriate, uh, whichever side. Uh, the first is the deniers, and I'm just going to basically ignore them uh, in the same way that if I was a, vac- if I was a scientist working on polio, uh, I would not bother reading the papers or the, let's be real here, very poorly written blog posts about – anti-vaccinations uh so i am just they are they exist in the world but they we already have spent enough time on the show explaining how they live in a different reality um so i don't need to get into that so let's focus on uh the the two other sides the the centrists who in this case will be represented by andrew leach uh and the environmentalists who will be set, who who will be um who will be represented by bill, bill mckibben and I guess I should actually probably say activists versus environmentalists because Andrew Leach 100% is an environmentalist. Um, and so, the, the, again, once again, the terms are not, are not perfect. But what's interesting is that as I thought about this more, I realized that I think in the end, every group uh, is making the same mistake uh, in that every group is in some ways presuming that technology is going to save us. And I'll start with the centrists because they are, we sort of we talk about them a little more commonly on the show. Uh, and Andrew Leach's article is um, it, it is compelling. You know, basically his argument is both environmentalists and and Trudeau are are are, are making are making a similar mistake, which is that they are expecting more. They're they're claiming they can get more than they can get, uh, and in the wayside, basically limiting their impact. He, th- he thinks Trudeau is putting climate policies that he cannot make, and that is making people not believe he'll do it and, and totally undermining his credi- credibility. And he's th- saying that environmentalists are demanding too much that is even possible from Trudeau, uh, and therefore uh, and therefore he cannot do it. And, and therefore Trudeau will have no incentive in actually responding. And, you know, and, what's it, and he understands climate. Like, like, there's no question Andrew Leach does not understand climate science. That's, there's not a question. Um, and... And so he knows that uh, that what Trudeau is doing currently is not enough to to reduce emissions to the extent we need to, um, and and that, and that is totally fair. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's it's it, he's not wrong in that if every time uh, Trudeau says he's going to do something, uh, he is he's attacked. And again, there's a level of which environmentalists get to. Um, 
uh, get to you, you have to you have to keep pushing for the better version of everything because uh, if you don't uh, then again we're all still not living in the same world but Andrew Leach as much as his argument is compelling it's it, it, it if you look at the climate science it just doesn't hold water uh, unlike this day which really holds a lot of water um, you know, it, it, there just isn't there isn't a possibility that if every if the whole world did what Trudeau was doing, which is sort of Andrew Leach's part of Angela's point that Trudeau is doing more than the rest of the world, and if we actually got the rest of the world to do what, we, what Trudeau was doing, uh, that would be good, and it would be good, but it still wouldn't be enough. Um, and and even if you take out like this is, it was, was, even if you take out everything Trudeau is doing with the, with the tar sands, um, he it's still not enough. You know, you can just remove, like, you could, like he could, he could just be, you know, if the Tarzans continue to their exact rate without the extra pipelines they're trying to get, get in place, Canada still wouldn't hit its targets. Uh, and so, this argument that we should just accept what we have, uh, or at least trumpet what we have and be proud of what we have, he actually says Canadians should be proud. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, are we doing better than the United States? Yes, sure. Pat ourselves on the back. Uh, but, you know, we also have health care. <laughs> it's not great here. Uh, like it's it's much 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 better. Uh, but you know, there's not universal pharmacare. People still go with you know. People still wait forever and in, 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 uh, for for care when they need it. Um, you know, there's still versions of a two tiered healthcare system here. There's it's not that you know we can pat ourselves on the back, but we're, some say we're patting ourselves on the back for you know being better than just someone who's very bad. Uh, you know, like if you're if you're a if you're a D minus and you're sitting beside in a room full of Fs, that doesn't necessarily mean you're winning here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and and so and so, you know, in very many ways, like if you were to believe Andrew Leach's point, the only way this works is we slowly get to a point in which uh, in which climate change action feels inevitable, and suddenly at that point, miracle technologies take over, and we're fine. You know, so at some point we just start rolling down the hill, uh, and technologies that we've no, we have no idea occur. Every single car becomes electrified overnight. Uh, the in systems, and actually more more difficultly, these systems to allow every car to be electrified overnight exist, pop into the world, um, and and suddenly we're fine. Just quickly to make that point, yeah, how will those technologies come up overnight when we don't have the policies and the regulations in place to grow those technologies? Exactly. It's a it's a slow process. You know, we, we you know let, let alone whether or not we have you know we don't have. We we barely have a way to get an electric car across across the states without the, we, we, you know and or Canada we don't certainly can actually in Canada or much more difficult uh, and so we're not we're not there yet and to some extent to accept the centrist argument is to believe at some point something will magical will happen and technology will save us um, well and I just I just need to interject and, and do my usual like reality check here but as I've as I've said you know at uh, environment events or uh, uh, you know for activists or all the way to uh, at the some uh, there's a Toronto event called the TSSS uh, that's uh, largely attended by more corporate type folks it's called the Toronto Sustainability Speaker Series we've had the the person who the founder of that talk series on the show and what I asked executives at the meeting and the same thing I'll say here and the same thing I keep saying which is if you're using a metric that isn't uh, the science, which is we need to do this by this time, which happens to be in this case, we need to do a very large job like 10 years ago, but failing that immediately. Um, and if you're not using that metric and you're using some other metric about sort of market forces or what the political climate will uh, accept, uh, first of all, like what you're saying is failure is acceptable because I'm not 
doing that. And the second thing is you're saying, I'm not willing to fight for the science. Like you're saying you believe in the science. And that's my biggest criticism of Justin Trudeau, right? Is he'll come out and say, look, okay, I accept climate change is real. We're going to do all these policies. But what do you expect me to do, right? The political climate is such that blank. But you're the one with the biggest bully pulpit. You're the one having the biggest uh, ability to change the conversation in Canada. And what you're telling Canadians is this is good enough not it's not good enough and i'm going to do the best i can right so like the, you're making an argument at, at which you're aspiring to and the and the the place justin true wants to aspire to is the best thing that doesn't rock the boat too much not the thing that will get us to the target that is indisputably non-negotiable okay so you excellent segue uh because you you you've segued into the part that i get which which is definitely the more unpopular part of this piece <laughs> uh which is when i start taking shots uh and specifically and as, as you like everything you just said is perfectly segue into this because there's a level of which and we've done on this show over and over and over again uh and and you know far via at this point to take shots at bill mckibben uh given given his stature in the rival movement but uh, there's a, 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 the other side of this is that we as well do not live in reality, um, and 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 it's this and it's this piece of which that has been, str- been that I've been struggling with recently, which is that we as 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 environmentalists can speak of this house on the hill, right? Uh, we show it off. It's like it's this renewable energy uh, future that we could get to right now if we only invested in it, uh, as we'll find out soon from SolarShare, um, and and it, it's this carbon zero utopia. Uh, of the future. Uh, and we talk about this all the time. Um, and yet, I struggle with that more often than not, outside of the renewable energy systems and outside of maybe the transportation systems, the rest of the world doesn't exist in this house on the hill. The rest of the world just does, you know, where do we get our food from? Uh, who's building the building still? How do we make cement? Uh, all the rest of these pieces don't exist. And, 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 when, we, and when we attack someone like Trudeau, um, what we're also doing uh, is we're attacking someone who's making decisions. Uh, and he's ba- you know, as as, as the, the number one defense uh, that someone like Trudeau would make is that, you know, he's trying to balance all these multiple stakeholders. And, and it's very easy, uh, if your only job is to speak on the radio, uh, to, 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 to criticize uh, that, oh, come on. Yeah, sure, I understand you've got to balance all these stakeholders, but we're talking about millions of lives in the future of the Earth. Like, that should trump everything, which in some ways it should. But at the same time, environmental activists will still go on about getting – whenever they get up in arms about, to say, the price of hydro being too high – uh, or or coming out against road tolls when they get put in place, uh, or controversially uh, here I know uh, our nuclear power gets discussed. Whenever we, whenever we're t- just making deciding to make those attacks uh, or those decisions, we're doing the same thing that Trudeau is. We're balancing priorities, right? We are saying that you know, uh, like at this moment, if 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 you if there's a child in Alberta whose health care is dependent on the money from oil sands, I don't think there's an environmentalist in 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 this world who is going to stand by that switch and turn off the and turn them off, right? And it's it's this it's this it's this unprecedented this overarching pressing need to balance the people who are in front of you today who have the needs of today with this future. And this is constantly the balancing act we're doing. And right now, uh, we're incredibly biased towards the short term. Uh, and that has always been a, a, a problem for, for, uh, for, for human, the human species, really. 
Um, and and this isn't a defense of Trudeau's more egregious uh, climate policies. Like you know, you you simply cannot argue for the pipeline, the extra pipelines he's putting in. Um, but at the same time, we have to understand that we where reality exists and whose reality we're talking about. Because if you're talking about the reality of the person uh, who you know who lives in the world where um, you know where that 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 doesn't that that is that is so focused on trying to get through the day today or tomorrow or the next week their life doesn't include 40 50 years from now 2050 doesn't matter um and so we're not living in their reality and we're asking our politicians uh to live in both realities simultaneously we're asking our politicians to do both and and so there's this there's this there's this push and pull constantly and and the reason our mental movement uh more often than not is uh, we need a massive reshaping of every system that is in place. Uh, but that technology will mean that we can do it now and easily. Uh, and like we end up speaking of this quote-unquote wartime effort without really thinking about what that looks like. You know, we talk about this house on the hill, but never the steep, rocky climb upwards. We don't mention, we, we refuse in parts because, you know, it's not very inspiring uh, to, to, to tell everybody uh, that, um, you know, that, oh, yeah, you know, that thing that we want that is great, it's going to be hard and we'll probably all feel poorer for it and this will be a tough time. You know, this is going to be an issue. Uh, and I'll, I'll throw to you in a second, but I just want to finish this thought. Um, and that's and this is why when you read McKibben's piece, you can feel the fact that there's that they, that there's a different reality shape existing in that as well. Um, but what's interesting about 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 McKibben's piece is that the first half of it is what everyone paid attention to. The first half of it is 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 his attack on Trudeau. The second half of it is actually far more interesting, in my opinion, because the second half of it. Uh, speaks. Uh, he he references uh, a an article uh, or a book, perhaps I'd have to check in it. Re- check written uh, in about in Nagasaki before the draw before the bomb is dropped, and never once in the article or sorry in the book is it ever referenced. Uh, it was is is the actual bomb ever referenced, but it looms over the uh, the people uh, and the story itself, and and what I fear. And what I think is happening and what I see when I see both sides of the same, like, you know, these are two environmentalists having an argument, um, is that what we actually exist in is a world right before that. You know, in that we, is that McKibben's real point was that we are in some ways refusing to talk about the thing that actually is happening, uh, which is that, you know, if, if, if both sides of these realities are right and if these are the two sides we're dealing with, uh, that ultimately – we may simply be doomed. Um, and it's, like, it's impossible to overstate the scope of the problem. You know, we're closing into being locked into two degrees warming, uh, which then changes the question uh, from mitigating it or reducing it to actually just two terrifying alternatives, runaway climate change uh, caused by the melting of the polar ice caps um, uh, or, or turning Earth into one gigantic experiment. Um, and... I think there's a piece of this that uh, that 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 I am still like. This is a whole thing about how like I, I warned you at the beginning this would be depressing, but I think in the end, what I come down to is I don't have the answer, um, and in, in the same way that I don't can't tell you what Shonen's cat is, I can't tell you how for us to get out of this box. Uh, 
but at the same time, I think the only the only way that I only thing that actually inspires me, uh, and only thing that gives me any real hope, uh, are these sort of small uh, burgeoning true changes. Uh, you know, the the ways we're tr- we're finding ways to change our institutions to actually to to, to actually do better. Uh, and the ways that we are we are undermining the system that is killing us uh, with with thi- you know, with 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 whether it's sharing or whether it's you know finding new ways to use use technology uh, in, in or or if you know finding new ways to use capital uh, in the case of solar share um, and and that to me is the the only thing that gives me hope um, and which I hope is enough on this very dark and dreary day. <laughs> <laughs> so just uh, really quick, we're going to go to break right now, but I just I wanted to, to just make one point very clear, I think, is very important. So uh, Stefan and I knew we were not talking at cross purposes, but if you're the audience listening, you may have not realized that we were not talking at cross purposes. <laughs> so just to be very specific about what I meant, uh, theoretically, Justin Trudeau could have done made every decision he's made exactly the same. I wouldn't have been happy, but that wasn't what I was talking about a minute ago as far as what I, my major complaint with Trudeau is. He could have made every single decision he's made to date exactly the same. But if he had done it while ringing the alarm bell, if he'd done it while calling out all of these climate disasters as climate disasters, but he hasn't been, that's, it's a messaging, it's a political cover, it's a political atmosphere. This thing that he's afraid that he claims he's subject to and afraid of, and this is why he's forced to make certain decisions, I think he could have done a better job rhetorically, even if he'd made all the same political decisions. So, you know, we're going to build these pipelines because the calculus does work that, you know, even though emissions will go up, we're going to make so much money and invest that in renewable energy, whatever. But do not be confused. Climate change is a serious problem. I'm just asking you to trust me that this is the best thing for Canada as to, to solve it. Whether or not that's even true rhetorically, and see the difference is if you come out and you say, you know, he says it's very concerning about these floods. This is the type of effect we have to be looking for from climate change. This is going to be getting worse. This is why you need to support me when we go ahead and do these carbon taxes or these this things. And just every day ringing the bell, ringing the bell, ringing the bell could have made every single decision the same. Because here's the difference. He's creating political cover for people who are doing this ground operation, for people that are doing these small projects, for people that want to go out and and ask for funding to do this or that at a local level, at a small level. He'd be creating political cover for new rounds of candidates that might be coming out from whatever party, but specifically his own party, creating that cover that he's claiming he doesn't have now for the next round of politicians to be able to go and make even stronger changes because at that point, maybe the public will be demanding it stronger because they've been convinced that this is an urgent and serious and real and immediate issue. Uh, and and the other, other thing I'll mention is that by not doing that, there is an implication to certain voters and to certain listeners out there. This may not be his intention, but and this may not be the way everyone hears it. But some people are going to hear when Justin Trudeau comes out and says, climate change is serious, but we're going to build every pipeline that's ever graced my desk. Some people are hearing that maybe it's really not that serious a problem anyway. He has to say it's a problem because of his liberal base, but really we all know what's going on. And I'm concerned that he's, he's losing an opportunity to really create, to really give some steam to a movement that, that, that he needs to be able to do a better job if we do take him at face value and say that, that he really does want to solve climate change and that really is his, one of his biggest priorities. And by not doing it, I'm concerned that he is depressing those other forces and, and, and reducing the environment by which these decisions can be made. Uh, we are going to go to... Uh, 
music break now, though, uh, I have for you uh, Feist coming up in a second. Chris Kander is going to come on and t- uh, from SolarShare right after the break and tell us. I will give the disclaimer right now, though, that just because he's in the studio doesn't necessarily mean he endorses any or all of any of the things we've just said. <laughs> and I can say with certainty that he's going to tell you SolarShare officially does not endorse anything we've just said ne- <laughs> necessarily. Uh, so with that, we're going to go to break. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, live in Toronto or on our podcast, uh, one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners all across the country and now across the world as well. You can learn more at greenmajority.ca. Uh, we'll be right back. This is Feist. All right, and we are back. That was Feist with pleasure, and we're now going to be, uh, it is going to be our pleasure, in fact, to talk to Chris Canners, who's the general manager for SolarShare. Uh, SolarShare is a co-op uh, that is uh, run and organized by T-Rec. I'll let you get into some of these details sure. in a second. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, as a quick overview, basically this allows individuals uh, individuals that don't have uh, giant stockholds of, of money lying around to be uh, investing directly in the solar market. Uh, so Chris, if you could tell us, just uh, give us a slightly more uh, higher resolution detail on that uh, uh, how exactly does operation work? Um, how What are people actually investing in? Give us the 10,000 feet. Got it. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so SolarShare is a not-for-profit cooperative, uh, and we are uh, enabled by the Ontario Energy, uh, the Green Energy Act uh, in Ontario. And and what we do is we uh, own and operate a solar uh, photovoltaic, uh, that is solar electric projects uh, in Ontario um, that uh, have 20-year contracts from the government, these feed-in tariff contracts, which you may have uh, talked about before. And so what we do is we, um, we offer uh, citizens of Ontario, residents of Ontario, uh, the opportunity to invest in those projects projects um, uh, through bonds that we offer. So we offer two types of bonds right now. We offer a, a five-year bond uh, with a minimum investment of $1,000, and that pays 5%. And we offer a 15-year bond, uh, which uh, is a minimum investment of $10,000 and offers 6%. Um, and so through these mechanisms, you can invest in solar share. And what you're doing is directly putting your money into solar electric projects in the province that are um, uh, that are run by a not-for-profit uh, cooperative. And these, these aren't, um, these aren't, you're not investing Investing in a home unit, you were t- we're talking about larger scale That's projects, so farmland uh, builds, what stuff like that. Good, good question. Yeah, so we we do uh, larger uh, projects typically. So we do have some very small ones uh, on Manitoulin Island, and our projects are across Ontario, uh, by the way. But we do uh, both roof and ground uh, mounted projects. We don't put them on good quality land. You're not allowed to. Uh, so farmland, uh, just to clarify that. Uh, but we put them on all sorts of uh, you know commercial and industrial buildings. And so these are projects that are really you know your home could probably use a system of about seven kilowatts we're putting things in that are uh, systems in that are at least 100 kilowatts and typically we like to do up to 500 kilowatts um, we're prevented by regulation from going over 500 kilowatts at the moment but we'd like to do as much as we can with whatever system we're we're working on so we have um, by the end of the summer we'll have 45 uh, systems in Ontario operating all right so the, there's two um, details of how solar share works that I'd like you to explain what sure. the decision for one of them is the co-op aspect mm-hmm. and the other one and this may simply be that you're just simply subject to regulation here but I, why only Ontario why are you not opening this up to international investors and that sort of thing sure great great questions both uh, so they're both uh, due to regulation so I'll start with the international investors first um, right now we can't accept uh, funds um, uh, under the regulations that we are operate under uh, from uh, from residents outside of Ontario. Um, we'd love to, uh, and, but that's not something we're able to do right now. It's something we'll look into in the future. But right now, to be honest, there's we see so, um, plenty of opportunity for us to build further uh, solar in Ontario, and, um, and so that's not something we're actively going after. Um, 
And in terms of the why a cooperative, well, um, the Green Energy Act, the Ontario government saw fit to uh, enable cooperatives through the Green Energy Act, which is a, a smart move. Um, so we were actually made into a renewable energy cooperative. Um, uh, so that's the technical name. And the, what the government had to do was to change the way that the way cooperatives work. Typically, you have to uh, do business directly with your members um, in order to be a cooperative uh, defined under the Act. What this uh, the Green Energy Act said is, well, you can be a renewable energy cooperative, and you know we're not doing business directly with uh, we're not selling electricity uh, directly to our members that we're selling it to the Ontario government which, which then gets distributed across the province so it, it allowed for that to happen um, and so uh, the cooperative aspect I think more than that is um, you know it, the community power aspect, I guess. So when you look at uh, what a cooperative does and how it's managed, it's you know it's one vote per member. It doesn't matter how much money you've put in; you get one vote. Um, and you, it's so it's a much more democratic way of doing things. Uh, it's a community-based organization, and we believe in community power. So community-based infrastructure, uh, you know, you get a lot be- a lot of benefits when you're able to uh, get your community together and build uh, solar power or wind power with the community's uh, involvement and with the community's investment. This has worked. Uh, very well in Germany, uh, for instance, and a huge amount of its uh, renewable energy is uh, through community-based ownership. Um, and so I think the co- cooperative model is a really good fit for that. You get better economic benefits. Um, you know, you get uh, much increased economic benefits in the region uh, when you're doing that. Like we hire a whole bunch of people who end up building the projects and um, uh, that uh, and it sort of, sort of trickles down into our economy. So at the same time, we have a much more democratic way of going about it. So your money, when you're investing in solar share, it's going really directly to um, these projects. That's what we do. That's it. Um, and so we're pretty lean and, uh, and you know, there's, uh, it's all community-based. So I think that's the benefit from my perspective. It's a, it's a different ownership, ownership structure, which I think is really interesting. And I'd like to see, to be honest, expanded um, in other areas. So one of the things that um, s- sort of jumped out at me, and I, I, I actually have I have some degree, although not complete, so this is partially for my own benefit uh, here, but I, I imagine some of the people in our audience who are maybe not, uh, you know, our audience ranges from quite a bit, but some of our audience is, is quite young, maybe in first year university or a little bit later, about half of our audience is uh, a little bit over half is under 30. So this, you know, many people who are listening to the show right now may not be ready to be making investments and sure. maybe don't have that in background information. So sort of for them, I can imagine a question, and, and again for me as well, um, sort of very naive sounding question, but it, it basically if this was such a good deal, why are individuals you know, making, doing all this stuff? Why aren't, you know, why isn't Exxon buying into this market? Why isn't, you know, why, how is there such an opportunity that this is even available for individuals? Right, and that's, that's a good question. I mean, this, this same thing it happens um, uh, in, the, in private industry as well. So, you know, private industry can go and get uh, the same 20-year government contracts. This happened, these feed-in tariff contracts are very common uh, around the world as a way of incentivizing renewable energy. Um, and so they do that as well. There's lots of big companies that go and build big uh, big uh, solar farms or, or, or uh, wind farms, and, and they do exactly the same thing. And the, I read an article the other day, the Canada Pension Plan was investing in what's called, a, what's called green bonds. Well, green bonds, you know, it's a sort of a wishy-washy term, and, and we can call our, what we do, we can call ours uh, community bonds or solar bonds is what we call them, or you could call them green bonds as well. And it's actually exactly the same thing except for 
Um, the structure is different. So it's a, you know, it's a typical corporate structure and all that kind of thing. Uh, whereas we come at it from a community-based perspective. And so we're doing projects in our own backyard. Uh, we're doing uh, it with the money uh, of the people who own those backyards. Uh, and uh, and in a way that, you know, we think is really beneficial. Um, and, and not that the bigger ones aren't beneficial, but I think the um, the, the, the tack we're taking is, is slightly different through the cooperative and through the community ownership aspect. So it's really, it's, it's all encompassed in one rather than a pure a profit motive, we have other motives as well. Mm. And, and, and it also sounds like there's just so much opportunity to go around in the, in the solar sector right now that, there, that you're, you have a lot of supply of opportunity. Right? Well, and that's what, and that's what we feel. And, and you know, the, the, there's been, you know, if you look at solar over the last 10 years or so, it's been very interesting. And I know you've talked about it on your show before. Uh, the, the decrease in the price of solar has been um, uh, significant uh, over the last 10 years uh, in terms of the equipment. And the Ontario government at the start uh, in sort of mid-2000, um, time frame started to put into place this Green Energy Act. And that was really uh, insightful because what we've done in Ontario is built up um, uh, uh, an industry around solar and wind. We have, uh, 10 years ago, we were talking about, okay, well, how do we get solar panels installed? Like, we don't have any people who know how to do this. Uh, now, we have lots of people who know how to do that. We have all the lawyers and the engineers and the, the insurance. You know, there's a million different little things that need to happen in order for this to be successful. Um, and, uh, and so that's what's ended up happening. And because we've subsidized renewable energy to a certain extent um, there we've built up this industry and so now we're in the position where we can take advantage of those um, uh, of that knowledge so we've uh, we've a little bit over our, half our designated time for for this segment but uh, so I, I have a, a uh, more of a sort of general answer question I'm gonna ask <laughs> you to essentially comment on part of the first thing so we're gonna have sort of a fun sure. question for for Chris the person not Chris the general manager of SolarShare in a minute <laughs> but my last question for Chris the general manager of SolarShare is um, I, I want you to explain a little bit more because uh, I have some understanding, but again, I, again, I'm also not an expert and, and, and our audience may not know. Um, talk to me about specifically how the feed and tariff policy has allowed solar share and other operations. What has the benefit of that really been? Has it been gigantic uh, or, or is it sort of just like icing on the cake? Uh, how important has that policy been to renewables? Yeah, very, very good, good question. So no, very important. Uh, the feed and tariff. So what we're able to do is uh, we're able to rely on these 20 year contracts from the government. That's what the feed and tariff contract is at a fixed rate. So it reduces effectively the risk uh, for investment. And that's a key key aspect. So when we go and take uh, use our bondholders' money, uh, we're very risk adverse. We you know we want to be able to pay everyone back, and we're confident we can do so. Um, but one of the things that allows us to to do those things is these these twenty year contracts. And so when you know you have twenty years of uh, generation revenue that you can bring in at that rate, it's uh, it, it allows your planning to go much more smoothly, and you can reduce that risk very significantly. And it allows us to do things like take out uh, debt if we need debt and we can't uh, get enough bonds. Um, to uh, buy the projects, we can use commercial debt uh, to do that as well. And, and they rely on those 20-year uh, feed and tariff contracts to do that. So it's it's been really important, I'd say. Right now, I, I mean, the regulations are changing. The feed and tariff contracts will be ending um, at some point in the future. We don't know when exactly. There's been a number of rounds. There's been five rounds uh, of feed and tariff contracts that the government has put forward. Uh, but uh, 
Um, but we know that that's going to end at some point, and we're ha- we're fine with that, to be honest, because we want solar. Uh, solar has uh, made so significant strides to be able to stand on its own two feet. Um, it's the feed and tariff contracts have done what they uh, have to do, and now it's a matter for the regulation to change to allow things like community net metering, which means we will set up a solar project, for instance, in uh, the Toronto Hydro distribution area, and then we can sell to all of you. We can sell to electricity to you directly. We, we are unable to do that right now, but that's something that's very exciting for us coming up um, in the next couple of years we expect the regulation to change to allow us to do that and work with your local distribution company or utility to feed electric green power directly uh, directly to you all right and so um my last sort of uh this we'll call this the essay question on the, on the <laughs> exam here uh I, i'll let you answer this in any way you see fit and, and you've got a few minutes here so f- feel free to, to take advantage of it so essentially we've got without trying to put you in a, in, in a difficult position here. We've essentially got three as I see it. Maybe I'm missing a peg. You can tell me if I'm missing a peg to the school, but uh, to the stool. Uh, but essentially, we're looking at um, technology, we're looking at policy, and we're looking at financing, right? So money, public policy, and, 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 this, and the technology itself. Uh, of those three, how would you order, um, the, the rank those as far as things that need to improve to allow the solar industry to go. So basically, like, is is the number one thing holding back the solar and renewable market? Is it public policy? Is it is it available financing? Is it the technology is still being worked on? And and how do those three things interrelate? Yeah, that's a great question. So. My gut says, you know, the, the the financing I think is okay. To be honest, I mean, I, I, I'm I've been with SolarShare for about a year now, and I'm very impressed. Like we've raised uh, over twenty five million dollars from residents of Ontario. We've paid out over two point five million dollars uh, to um, our members. Uh, you know, that's gone really well, and I think I think we can raise a lot more. And I think there's a lot of appetite uh, for uh, for more bond sales. And so I, that's that's something that's very exciting to me. So I think it's not that it's easy to do that, um, but uh, but I think I'm less concerned about that one. In terms of the technology, the key thing for solar. Um, as I'm sure you know, is 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 storage. That's the big thing that's coming along. So you know, we're not there yet. Um, we still have um, a ways to go. We're starting to test utility scale storage um, in places like California, um, in places like Hawaii. You know, you talked about the Tesla um, uh, facility. So you know, that's coming along, but we're not quite there yet. We need some more more work, I think, on on storage um, technically to get there. But it's, it's happening, and people are very interested in that. And you know, they see all the the, the price of um, you know, we talk about grid parity for renewables. Well, that really needs to include. The storage. So we're, we're at grid parity now in lots of different areas of the world with solar compared to, say, coal or natural gas. But we really need to get there along with the cost of storage because that's the thing that will actually allow solar to um, to take over a bigger portion of the uh, of the generation. Um, the the other the policy stuff is is also very important. I'd say. I mean, like we were just talking about this community power, um, community uh, net metering. Uh, that's you know they're starting to do that in the United States. Um, it's a really important, I think, um, way of allowing people to choose their source of electricity um, and a way for um, you know residents of a certain area to uh, come together with their money uh, and uh, to be able to choose uh, renewable energy together. Um, I think that's you know that's one policy that that sort of sticks out. That's uh, that's really critical. I mean, there's a lot of other policy around. You know, if, if we were talking about Ontario, you know, um, the policy around are we going to refurbish uh, Pickering um, or, or continue it on? You know, that's a that's an interesting uh, policy discussion, and it has a huge impact, obviously, on on uh, on how other sources of generation get into the mix and what that looks like. Um, 
you know, so I think there's there's a, I, I would say I guess both policy wise um, and from the the technology perspective, at least one particular part of the technology is being storage. Those are the two areas that I think um, need the most most help. But I think there's things happening on both of those fronts. Like I'm pretty I'm pretty uh, optimistic um, about the future of solar uh, in Ontario and elsewhere. Well, and just the fact that you ranked financing as the least of concern of the three, I think, is very hopeful because usually that's the that's the that's the plug, right? That yeah. <laughs> is, is if you don't have the money, you're not going anywhere. But well, if, if you've true. got yeah. money and and or people see an opportunity to make money and there's financing available, usually the other two get worked out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I I guess we're you you've lifted us up slightly from oh, Stefan's segment. <laughs> I think. Only so only so Sabina can sink us all the back oh, down. No. Yeah. Well, and that's where well, that's not even getting the bonus show yet. That's where that's where the really juicy stuff comes. Uh, uh, I'll, uh, oh, uh, oh, I think, yeah, I think we're perfectly on time. Thank you okay. for being your perfect timing. So Chris Canner is general manager of solar, uh, share. Uh, you can check them out at solarbonds.ca. We'll also have links, uh, on the website if people want to check that out. Uh, and, uh, Chris, uh, may wear his, uh, Chris, the human, uh, hat. Uh, we're putting away the Chris, the general manager hat, but we'll see if we can get him to stick around for, for the bonus show or something Absolutely. like that, yeah. uh, as well. So, uh, Sabina is coming up next to talk to us about, uh, walls and carbon, uh, policy in general. Uh, right now we're going to listen to some more feist. You're listening to the green majority on CIUT 89.5 FM and, uh, check out greenmajority.ca for more. We'll be right back in just a moment. Right. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Aaron Kaster, but I'm only going to be on the mic for a second because I'm about to pass it to Sabina, who's going to tell us a little bit about uh, a few. Well, you can do it yourself. What are we going to talk about, Sabina? Um, like you mentioned earlier, dams and walls, apparently. <laughs> but um, this week, on another really fun edition of extreme weather events happening around the world, I have the delight to tell you about the flood warning issued to hundreds of homes in Ontario and Quebec. The International Lake Ontario and St. Lawrence River Board warned the people uh, warned that people who live near parts of the Ottawa River, Lake Ontario, and the St. Lawrence River should prepare for major coastal flooding. So some of the highlights. So this was on May 2nd, and now it's May 4th. I mean, sorry, now it's May 5th. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> some of the highlights from the weather events so far have been, one, uh, Ile Mercier, a small island off Montreal, was submerged by floodwater. Uh, Rigaud, a town in southwestern Quebec at the junction of the Ottawa River and the Rigaud River, declared a state of emergency. It has been, it is one of the wettest Aprils on record that saw Lake Ontario rise to 44 centimeters. And uh, these kinds of, this, this kind of weather has only been seen pre- previously in 1993. Flooding has threatened hundreds of residents in the region and more than 130 homes were evacuated in Gatineau, Quebec, across the Ottawa as of May 4th. So so a very good quote from the National Observer pointedly states, it's just too much water everywhere. Uh, this issue is not only a Canadian issue. Just weeks ago on this show, we were speaking about floods in Peru, drought in Somalia and Sudan, as well as extreme weather events happening a lot more frequently and in closer timescales. Scientists, of course, say that these extreme weather events like flooding are likely to become more frequent in some regions due to climate change. And changing climate conditions are likely being caused by human activity, which we've mentioned over and over and over again, and can be, and can be mitigated by reducing global consumption of fossil fuel, fuels, deforestation, 
change to land use using solar energy, <laughs> investing in solar share. <laughs> however, it's difficult. However, many scientists do point out that it's difficult to draw a direct connection between um, flooding and climate change, but the models do point to more extreme weather, which will affect the lives of million pe millions of people worldwide. So where does the dam fit in? <laughs> right now, um, the dam that's in the heart of Canada's flooding emergency is the Moses Saunders Power Dam near Cornwall, Ontario. It's one of the four dams between Lake Ontario and Montreal, and people living in these flooding areas are currently complaining, even though the board has been adjusting the flow every day, sometimes twice a day since the beginning of April in order to provide maximum flood relief. However, apparently people don't really know how dams work and think that just because there's a dam, the water will, will remain constant all year, no matter what. So the board is now trying to educate people to say, well, if it rains a lot more, there's a chance of flooding, whether there's a dam there or not. I mean, that was me paraphrasing the education for the people, but uh, that's basically what the board is trying to do right now. And we shouldn't really look at the specific policies of how the dam is regulated, but we should be looking at giant um, climate change induced extreme weather events, how these are affecting Canada, how this is affecting the world and the people that are hopefully going to be living in this world. <laughs> um, so while these uh, extreme weather events are affecting Canadians in Ontario and Quebec, Brad Wall in Saskatchewan will not a let a carbon tax affect his province, of course. So the National Observer writes that Canada and Saskatchewan seem headed to a legal showdown whether, uh, over whether the federal government can actually impose a carbon tax on the province. As we know, last fall, Trudeau said that every province and territory should have at least a $10 a ton carbon tax by 2018 to rise uh, by 10 every year to a $50 a ton by 2022. And if the provinces don't do this themselves, then the federal government will impose this as a carbon tax on them. So in response to this, Wall stated that we'll use everything in our disposal to not have that cost imposed on industries here in the province of Saskatchewan, and that may include going to court of law. I personally think that this is extremely aggressive i i don't understand so okay he says the 50 dollar a ton price on carbon would amount to 2.5 billion in saskatchewan which is a cost to the export-based economy cannot bear so let's unpack this i just want to say wall went directly to a 50 dollar price on carbon and then added it all up to just like show a big number 2.5 billion it's gonna hurt us so much Okay, but first it starts in 2018 with $10 a ton. There's a lot of policies that you can put in place to help your your economy, to help your industries actually um, even find opportunities in, in a carbon tax. I mean, Saskatchewan has a huge, uh, huge agriculture component to its economy. You can use that. Um, agriculture is not part of the cap and trade or the carbon tax. So you can use that in order to to actually mitigate, use offsets, create new revenues for, for, for the government. However, he's, he's not doing that. He's just using his energy and his time to fight this, which is going to happen inevitably like if, if we want to actually mitigate climate change and Canada has to be united in at least having a price on carbon. Um, currently, British Columbia and Alberta already have prices, uh, carbon taxes in place. Ontario and Quebec have a cap-and-trade system. Alberta's carbon tax is relatively new. Uh, it's, the policies are still being put in place, and so is the Ontario cap-and-trade system, with the first auction just happening last month. Um, some, some really interesting results from the first auction, which was actually really, really successful. Um, the total proceeds of the auctions was... 
472 million and will be invested in green pro- programs that reduce emissions and help businesses cons- uh, and consumers transition to a low carbon economy. So not only can the so the carbon tax yes while it might might pr- um, make some companies less uh, some some industries less competitive if they are trade exposed it's important to know that you can actually create revenue from having a cap and trade or using your taxes towards um, increasing research or better policies towards helping businesses move towards a low carbon low carbon economy I like how Sabina looked at me before I did anything because she knew I was going to want to say something. Uh, I'm sitting behind her. That's why that's funny. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I'm actually going to jump in uh, just with a really quick thing because I'm sure Stefan and perhaps uh, Chris want to make a comment on that. But uh, this is my my usual soapbox number two being pulled out, which is uh, be careful of people offering you one-sided accounting. If they'd done the opposite policy, it would have cost somebody else something else. Uh, if you spend the money here, you don't have money over there. Right. So if they if they'd done everything Brad Wall wanted, that would impose costs elsewhere on the economy. And there's so there's always effects. Anytime you do anything, you're you're making a decision to invest here or to not invest there. That's number one. Number two is nobody. And I wish Trustman Trudeau would be a better once again, would do a better job of articulating this wants to hurt the people of Saskatchewan. If climate policy is required and it is just so we're keeping score here, it is. Uh, but it's going to have ne- negative impacts on Canada well, or on specific parts of Canada. Well, then guess what? We have this great system about how we balance that out. And if that automatic system, so some of the provincial payments doesn't cover that, or if that math doesn't work, then maybe we need to come up with, with some additional policy to help ensure that, that Saskatchewan's and Manitobans and Albertans and people in the Yukon and the people of uh, Prince Edward Island and the people of Nova Scotia are fine, right? This is how policy gets made, right? Any decision you make is going to have those impacts. So so A, yeah, it's going to have an impact. So is not doing anything. So is doing the opposite of what we are proposing to do. So that's that's a BS argument. Unless, unless you're saying, you know, and here's a better idea or uh, and there's a better way of doing it or but just like to, to make the argument, well, then let's do nothing is you're just it doesn't matter the topic. You're being useless. Um, and and I would say inherently dishonest, uh, but also like, let's talk about the solution. What do we do about this? And that's that's where I think where Justin Trudeau is really handing Brad Wall an opportunity here to make his case, as I said earlier, by not really fighting and saying, no, 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 this is for Saskatchewan's benefit in the long term and in the short term. And here's what we're going to do about it. I'm going to go to Chris. Yeah, thanks. I, and I think it's it's interesting. It, I mean, I see this as a it's a process like we were talking about the switch earlier. Um, and all this is going to have to be a process over time. The nice thing about this this policy is, you know, if Brad Wall doesn't like uh, the climate policy that Justin Trudeau is imposing on him, he can design his own system. And they've <laughs> thought about doing that. Um, you know, it's a, if you have trade-exposed industries, you can protect them uh, for a certain amount of time at least. You know, you can design policy around your specific uh, jurisdiction. It's not like, you know, you have to be beholden to that. That's what they're offering. So it's confusing for that for that reason. And, it, you know, and you're right. Like, I mean, the accounting, you have to think about both sides of the equation, I think. Uh, what, I, what I love about it is that his response is basically, uh, like, the offer is, do what makes sense for you. And he's like, you're not letting me do what makes sense for me. <laughs> and yeah. it, so, and then you're going to impose something, and we'll fight it. Yeah. You know, it's, one of those, it's, it's, it's like, 
it, it's honestly some places the ends up being the opposite side of what often happens with 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 at least transit planning in Toronto, which is that we spend all the time saying it's not perfect, and then we end up filling in the whole of England, <laughs> filling in subway holes. Like Brad Wall could very find could very well find himself at some point not in power, uh, and then and, and you know maybe you, maybe you see a similar a, a similar sort of turnover, and suddenly the 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 carbon tax that gets put in is dramatically worse than he wants you know a a smart like as much as you as much as you didn't as much as you want to um given the need for this kind of policy um as the the smart money is on finding a way to make the policy as as supportive to what you want as possible because it's going to happen you know uh, like it's it, it, and and so the and so if you know if i'm brad wall the, the the sort of I'm just going to say that we're being not we're being forced to do something, especially especially within Canada where the provinces have so much power, you know, like this is not this is not a thing in which the provinces are these sort of you know uh, like are, are are super beholden. They they can do a lot. Yeah. They're not Hawaii. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, and and I think going back to to your point, Chris, is that trade exposed uh, um, trade exposed industries industries. Thank you so much. Trade exposed industries can be protected. They're they're being protected in other provinces, and until they can find a way to actually reduce their greenhouse gas emissions internally, and then they'll they'll have like a carbon tax imposed on them. I don't I don't understand why. And and his whole his whole argument was that a fifty dollar uh, price on carbon, fifty dollar a ton price on carbon will give us two point five billion dollars. Um, in losses for 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 the for the province, which is absolutely it's it's so biased and so crazy that I can't believe he's actually saying that and people people are are, are believing that that's it can completely be mitigated it can it you can put the right policies in place where that's that's not even an issue in, in the end and if if other companies for example are using less carbon intensive um, methods and and the company out of Saskatchewan has to has to compete with those and then then you're you're not being as competitive in yeah. in that way. I was going to make a comparison that it's like you know okay Timmy you can have whatever you want for your birthday dinner <laughs> as long as it's not chocolate cake and be like I want chocolate cake but it's actually <laughs> worse than that. I, I want I'm going to up my metaphor now another level. It's okay Timmy you can have whatever you want for your birthday but you're allergic to peanuts so you can't have peanuts. I'm like I want peanuts because like ultimately I mean yes there's some short term political calculus here. Uh, we've 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 spoken to some some listeners uh, uh, in uh, Saskatchewan who tell us um you know regardless of what you might think he's very popular at home so uh you're you know you're not just the dis, the disdain the sneering disdain of some radio hosts from toronto it actually might make him more popular frankly like and that's the political reality in saskatchewan right and i'm not even really joking about that right so that's why it's sort of coming back to my whole thing about why justin trudeau and and the message that he sends regardless independent of the policy he takes which i might very disagree with very strongly um because you're allowing brad wall to put himself in this position of i'm resisting this totality totalitarian crazy lefty rather than and 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 it allows him to frame it that way rather than maybe getting through by hammering on it every single day that maybe some saskatchewan start to get a little bit nervous be like are we being short-sighted here this seems really you remember that fire in in alberta 
I don't know about this. Maybe this isn't so long-term smart. We've got about four minutes left. Chris, I'm going to basically give you the last word here. Uh, sure. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm honored. Um, the uh, I think, you know, and the thing is, uh, Trudeau isn't a crazy nuts lefty either. I am the crazy lefty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, you're the crazy lefty, but, the, you know, uh, but uh, Justin Trudeau is somewhere to the right of you. And so, uh, you know, I think the, the issue is that, you know, all these other provinces are doing this work. And, and as we've discussed, it's none of it is enough uh, to to meet the what the science says we're trying to achieve. And so that's the that's the real issue here. And, you know, so whether Brad Wall accepts a $10, $50, or no dollar tax on carbon is, you know, $50 is not going to do it, um, even close. Um, you know, the stuff that Alberta, it's great. Like, I'm glad, you know, Alberta put in this, the first carbon system, like uh, carbon pricing system in Canada. Uh, but it was based on uh, per unit of production. So you could get more efficient and still... Uh, be winning, but the emissions would go up. And so that's not a helpful system in terms of what we need to do. The Earth doesn't care whether or not you're getting more efficient at putting carbon into the atmosphere. So, you know, I guess the the issue for me is that there's, we still need to go further. And we it's hard for um, politicians, I guess, to, to rationalize, okay, we're going to do like in BC, we want to do all this LNG. Okay, um, liquefied natural gas, sorry. Um, well, if you look at the numbers, uh, I did analysis, of, well, this is a long time ago, so it's not still accurate. But at the time, they would have doubled. If they put on all the LNG plants that they wanted to put in, in BC, they would have doubled their emissions. And there are 60 megatons or so. They would have doubled the emissions. I mean, it, you can't. You can't do those two things at the same time. To your point about pipelines, you can't you can't have your cake and eat it too, um, and and that's the real problem here. So I think you know. Uh, I, I can appreciate that you know uh, the premier in, uh, of Saskatchewan has a problem with uh, with the carbon tax, but I think we all need to work together a little bit more here and be a bit more creative and be a bit more brave. Um, you know, I, we don't get a second chance at this stuff, um, and it, I think there are ways. By the way, uh, over a process, mm. it's not like you know, oh, we're going to lose all the jobs in the oil sands, and and then oh, forget it, we're done. Like we're not going to do it. <laughs> Sorry, you're you're out of luck. I, that's not the way it works. We, we've yeah. got about sixty well, and, seconds, but Stephanie, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to say. Uh, if, if if you want to talk about Brad Wall protecting uh, protecting his markets or something like that, the way to do that is to get to realize that the largest markets in the world are going to be governed by a price on carbon very soon, and you will be cut out of it if you are not playing the game. You know, it, the, the largest the largest carbon markets going to be opening up in China quite soon. Uh, California is doing it is already moving that way. Where are you exporting all your things to if if not to the places that will have a price on carbon? The way to protect yourself is to play the game they're playing and. And that's getting a price on carbon. All right. All the information is available at greenmajority.ca. Important announcement number one is that our bonus show is about diseases waking up in frozen Arctic permafrost. Check out greenmajority.ca for that. Second is that next week is CIUT's spring fundraiser. Get your uh, PayPal accounts ready. Get your credit cards ready. We'll be asking you for support and harassing you on social media all throughout this week uh, until next week. So stay tuned for that. Other than that, have a good green week, folks. Thanks for listening and take care. 